Amen. What a wonderful day that'll be. Maybe today, the Lord will come and take us home. Come, Lord Jesus, in the place He's prepared for us. Let's bow together. Father, we do uh, so look forward to what You have promised us in Your Son. We look forward to being with Him forever, uh, being in Your presence, Lord God, because we are righteous through the blood of Jesus, Your Son. We thank You and look forward to uh, that time, but You have us here. And you are uh, building us up. And you are working in us uh, to make us like your son now. Father, I pray that as we look into your word today, that that's what would happen. You would grant us wisdom and understanding into your word. That we would learn from this tremendous passage. And that you'd be greatly glorified in how we respond. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus in John chapter 10 uh, talked about the true shepherd being himself and the hirelings. Uh, the hirelings being those who are in it for the money, who see the wolf coming and they run away because they have no concern for the flock. But our Lord Jesus is very concerned for us. He loves us. He gave his life for us. He died for our sins and rose from the dead. And he is greatly concerned. We're told to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. And the Lord shows his care for us in the areas in which in this dark and dangerous world we might get tripped up. More specifically, for believers, there are dangers to our faith in Jesus. And God has clarified and revealed how we can be protected from those. And it would uh, do us well to give heed so that we are not uh, taken captive, so that we are not deluded by persuasive arguments. So today we continue our look at what genuine ministry looks like what biblical ministry should look like. And, you know, I've mentioned there's so many ministries out there. You do a search on that, millions of things come up. There's a ministry for anything and everything. But the term ministry isn't in Scripture. What we see is the term service or serving. So how is it that we are to serve one another? How is it that we are to minister to one another? Well, God's Word is very clear, and uh, we've been looking at it in the book of Colossians And it's actually a safeguard for us to see how right ministry, proper ministry should be done so that we do not get taken by those who are using ministry as a tool for their own gain at the flock's uh, expense. Would you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2? And we are coming into another wonderful passage. I, I, I shudder to think of these passages, how wonderful they are, to make sure the Lord help me share it as you desire. It's so important. It's so good. It's so wonderful. Please, Lord, uh, enable me to share it so I don't mess up. This is a wonderful passage. Now, we've been uh, looking at the book of Colossians, and we're going to see today that faithful servants have godly concern for the flock, and thus they proclaim the Word of God and warn the sheep. Uh, Those who don't have concern don't share the Word. They don't build you up. They don't mature you, and then you're vulnerable. But those who are concerned obey the Lord because the Lord is concerned. Now again, we've been going through the book of Colossians, and you turn your Bibles actually to Colossians chapter 2, and we'll be looking at verses 4 through 7. And in this, as I've mentioned, we've been going through the book of Colossians, and although Paul has not personally visited these believers in Colossae and the others in the Lycos Valley, Laodicea and Hierapolis, uh, he has been informed by Epaphras of their faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and their love for one another. But he's also been informed, evidently, of the threats to their faith. And he's been informed very specifically in that context because the way he responds, he responds to, as we will see in chapter 2, specific threats to our faith. Now, as we've looked at it, uh, the solution to these dangers and threats really comes down to the reality of a... Faith and a trust and a focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul begins in chapter 1 sharing the reality of who Christ is. 
who he is, uh, that he's our redeemer and he has brought the forgiveness of sins. And that he is also the supreme Lord of the first creation. Uh, he's the creator. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also the supreme Lord of the new creation. He is the head of the body, the body of Christ. That's the church. And he is preeminent. He is fully God and fully man. And he died to present us uh, in order to reconcile us that he might present us holy and blameless beyond reproach. Tremendous. And then within that, we have this statement then concerning this totally sufficient Savior moving on to uh, the reality of the ministry of the Lord through the Apostle Paul. And Paul begins in the middle of uh, chapter 2 going on to, middle of chapter 1 then going on into chapter 2 to reveal what genuine ministry looks like so that we will see it properly in light of the bad guys. Indeed, we've seen that biblical ministry has uh, God's men ministering. Those who have been called and gifted by the Lord to bring forth the word of God. Those who have a stewardship to fully proclaim the word of God. God's ministry also has uh, the message that's preached. It's Christ proclaimed. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is Christ. The message is Christ. When you go search for a church, you want to see that Christ is exalted, not just in name only, but through the word being brought forth. Sometimes you'll see churches that have all the right boxes checked, but you never see anything about Christ. You listen to a sermon, you hear some biblical stuff, but you never hear anything about Christ. Paul said, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man that we represent every man complete in Christ. And that's why he labors and strives. And we saw indeed that, that True ministry uses God's method. It's the proclamation of Jesus Christ. It's the word of God coming forth that believers would be matured in their relationship with Christ. And then we saw last time that genuine godly ministers have a concern for the flock. They're concerned and they struggle in the context of bringing forth the word that the body might be complete. And that leads us to what we'll see today where I believe we'll see authentic ministry uh, brings forth God's word so as to mature and also warn God's people so that they would not be taken captive by um, those bad guys. Let's take a look at our passage, and I'm going to back up a little bit into chapter 1, um, and then we'll move through the, what we saw last week, and then we'll move into our passage as I read. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. And we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. And then this is what we saw last time. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face that their hearts, first thing, might be encouraged, having been, that's already happened, knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself. This tremendous uh, confidence in the context of the truth of God, which is such a treasure. When we believe the truth of God, we stand on it in its right context, uh, it is a treasure. It is so valuable. And he says here, concerning Christ himself, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, we know there are bad guys out there, and a lot of the people who bring in the context to this book, and especially First John, talk about the Gnostics and all this stuff, you know. We don't see that in here. Yes, they were around, but what we see is what we need to know. Because we have different threats now, but these truths apply to us now, and they apply to every believer concerning those threats, because they all come with the same thread behind them, okay? So now he says in our passage, and this is what we'll begin today, I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless, he says, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit. Rejoicing to see your good discipline and stability in your, in your faith in Christ. 
As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And it's such an important passage. It is so crucial for our Christian walk now. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. This is a tremendous passage. This is a tremendous portion of Scripture, so I encourage you to pay attention and ask God to illumine His Word by His Spirit that you would understand exactly what He intended. Notice He says here, first of all, verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. Remember what we saw last time. We saw that Paul has just revealed his great struggle on behalf of the body for the purpose of presenting believers completing Christ. That through the word proclaimed true believers, having had their hearts knit together in love, that the word brings forth encouragement. And it also brings forth that treasured confidence in the Lord and his word. So valuable attending to the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, that full assurance of understanding the truth of God and the God of the truth. My question is, are you being encouraged through the Word? Do you have a treasured confidence in God and His Word? You stand on His Word. You believe what He said. It's a treasure. It's a treasure. So then God's word is incredibly valuable, and we need to recognize that. And Paul struggled for these specific goals. They'd be encouraged, and they would have that settled understanding in the true knowledge of Christ. And then he goes on to share concerning Christ that he has everything we need. He says, and we looked, we, we touched on this, but we'll touch a little more on it right now. We touched on it last time. In whom, and the verse uh, 3 are, Hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden. Now for us, they're revealed. For non-believers, it's hidden. They're not going to see it. They're not going to grasp it. They don't have the Spirit of God. It is hidden. But in Christ are hidden these things which are open and plain to us if we're willing to listen and we're willing to treasure God's Word. You see, Scripture reveals there are two types of wisdom. The wisdom of man and the wisdom of God. The wisdom that is from above and the wisdom from below. Let me share some passages. These are familiar to you, I think, and if not, they will be familiar after we read them, right? Turn to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. James is going to ask the question to say, hey, are you wise and understanding? Hey, that should be manifest in your behavior based on what wisdom you function by. It's going to reveal that. It's going to reveal that. You think you're wise and understanding? Well, what's your behavior like? Notice what he says here. James 3.13. Who among you is wise and understanding? There are people, I wouldn't raise your hand right now. <laughs> now. Listen to what he says here. He says here, who is wise and Let him show by his good behavior, excuse me, by his good behavior, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. There you go. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, it's hidden, um, do not, he says, do not be arrogant so as to lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from down from above, but is earthly. And people think, oh, earthly, that's good. Natural, they think that's good too. Well, earthly, natural, and demonic. In comparison to God's wisdom, it's not good. Man's wisdom is demonic. Man's wisdom is natural, it's earthly, it's of this world, and Satan is the ruler of this world. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Later on, we're going to see that God's wisdom produces order. Ordered in your relationship, in your relationship with Him. Disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, that's unmixed. No sin with that, it's pure then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There's not strife and jealousy and fights and quarrels. If you're functioning by God's wisdom, there's peace. There's peace. If it's man's wisdom, man, you got a battle coming up. But if it's God's wisdom, there's peace because we trust the God behind the truth. 
We also know, take for instance in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul mentions that, you can turn there, 1 Corinthians 1, that the gospel destroys man's wisdom. It destroys it because man's wisdom is centered in pride. Is centered in human pride, demonic pride. I'll share a little of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Now remember, the Corinthians were the wise guys. They were the ones that treasured wisdom before they got saved, right? That was their culture. It's their culture. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing, by the way, they're, they're on their way to eternal destruction, uh, foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God's wisdom, is his, that's his power. He uses his, his wisdom to produce what he wants to do. For it is written, I will destroy, notice this, the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Right? He says here, for since the wisdom, in the wisdom of God, uh, through its wisdom did, excuse me, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. You can't come to know him through your own reasoning and wisdom. It's not going to happen. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, okay? He says there, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and, and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and, notice this, the wisdom of God. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, right? Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that not many of you, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. By the way, we always think, oh, if God would just save that very intelligent scientist, how much he could do for God's kingdom with that intelligence. Well, God chose the weak things so that we wouldn't boast before God. Now, he certainly can save that person that desires to, desires all men are saved, but there's going to need to be a humbling, right? He says here, but God has chosen the foolish things, 27, of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things to sh- of the world to shame the things which are strong. That's us. We're the foolish and weak things, right? And he says there, the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. And he goes on, and he talks about us, that God's wisdom is revealed to us in Christ. That's what he says, verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. God is the one who saved us. God's the one who did it. Who became to us wisdom from God. It's Christ. And it's what Christ says in his word. It's Christ. And righteousness and sanctification and redemption, just as is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Wisdom comes from God. In Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you need wisdom, you get to know Christ. You get into his word. That's where it comes from. There's no other place. Any other place is, is man's way. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 7, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. It comes from the word of God. And where do we get it? From the word of God. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul continues to address it. By the way, the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians 2 are, are 1 Corinthians are a rebuke, uh, and they are a, uh, uh, that no one would boast the humbling of the Corinthians, that they wouldn't boast. And Paul gives his illustration of how he came to them. First Corinthians chapter 2. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. They're speaking of man's wisdom there. And this should be preaching 101. Every seminary should say, let's just look at this passage. You've come to preaching 101, we're going to look at the Word of God. Well, that's not what they do, unfortunately. But here, this is what they should do. Proclaiming to you the testimony of the God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's all about Jesus. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not 
in persuasive words. He says here, persuasive words of wisdom. That's man's wisdom. He didn't use man's wisdom to persuade you. We're going to see in our passage, Paul says, I declare this so that you are not deluded by persuasive arguments. Persuasive biblical arguments. He says here, but in the demonstration of spirit and power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. And there's a lot of people whose faith rests on the wisdom of men. It's a shame. Because they didn't heed the warnings. They weren't built up. They chose. They didn't choose the fear of the Lord in that context. And notice he says, yet we do speak wisdom. Hey, I don't speak wisdom, but I do. I don't speak man's wisdom. He says in this here, I speak God's wisdom. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak what? God's wisdom. In a mystery, this is verse 7, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age had, un- had to, of which none of the rulers of this age has understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, the things which I have not seen, ear has not heard, and not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Some people stop right there and say, I can't wait for all these things. Well, just keep reading, you already got it. <laughs> if you're a believer, notice what he says. Notice what he says. He says, um, love him for to us God revealed them through the Spirit. These things that not, no man can understand, no man has ever heard, no eye has seen, God has revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of God, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. That's God's Word. That's His wisdom. He says here, which things we also speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually praised. That's why you can't talk people in to biblical arguments about stuff. They need the gospel. They need to get saved, and then they're going to go, yeah, I believe God created everything. Try to talk him into it, maybe he might force him into it, and argue him into it, but they need to be saved. And then they'll receive the Spirit of God, and they'll understand. They'll go, yeah, I believe it. I believe it. He says here, but he who is spiritual praises all things, yet he himself is praised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ revealed in the word of God. And in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's so easy to, be, to, 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 to seek man's ways uh, packaged Biblically or whatever it might be. It's so easy to, 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 to fall into man's wisdom rather than believing what God says for every circumstance and every situation. You see, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but they're revealed to us. What he's, we have the mind of Christ, what he has chosen for us to know. We, uh, through his word, have everything we need. Second Peter chapter 1 is very clear. Seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him, that's through in a relationship with him, who has called us by his own glory and excellence. This is Second Peter 1, 3, and 4. He says, for by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises. Tremendous. Folks, as we're going to see, there are evil men and imposters who will bring man's wisdom packaged in persuasive arguments to, to lead believers astray. So Paul makes it clear, in him are all the treasures of wisdom. He says, I say this, pointing to in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. Back in our passage, the term translated delude here, uh, para lagizomai, interesting word. Lagizomai speaks of reckoning, 
working through something uh, logically, logizomai, reckoning, right? Uh, consider yourselves dead to sin, reckon yourselves, logically perceive that as a counting term in a sense. Para means alongside that. It means they're, they're using what seems to be reason, but it's not reason, it's alongside it. It's alongside it, and that's translated delude, or reckoning wrongly. Reckoning wrongly. Deceived by false reasoning. Deceived by false reasoning. And then Paul intensifies our awareness of our threat. He says, uh, this delusion of being deceived by false reasoning is done in the context of persuasive speech. Uh, pithonologia. It's used in, uh, it was basically used in the terms of a law, court of law. It was the, referred to a lawyer's persuasive speech, the power to influence an audience in some context towards an unjust verdict. Persuasive speech, making an argument, a very reasoned argument, but it's false. But it's false. You'll find that we don't fall, believers, for the, for the obvious cults and the obvious stuff. Believers fall for the stuff that's not so obvious if you're not in the Word of God. We can be taken captive by someone arguing a certain text a certain way, but denying other texts and rejecting those truths and how it would apply to that text. We can be taken captive naively if we are immature. We can be tossed to and fro. And so Paul says, hey, in Christ is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's through his word. It's everything you need so that you won't be deluded by persuasive arguments. Now, we know people who are deluded by persuasive arguments. I've mentioned those things before. I mentioned that one teacher who, who has the ultra-hyper grace. They take the grace of God and turn it into licentiousness. They take parts that are really good about God's forgiveness. It's true. Focus, focus, focus on this, yes. But then they misapply it to our sanctification right now. They twist the word of God. You have other people who take the truth of God's sovereignty and bringing forth salvation. God saves, and then they twist it to focus on that rather than God who saves. Little things here and there. Reasonable arguments. Well, if you look at this, then this, then this, of course it's got to be that. Well, the reality is, if you look at God's word, maybe it's not that. We got to be careful. We got to be careful. There are those deluding with persuasive arguments. We, Jesus wants to see, loves everyone. He wants to save everyone. We need to get everyone in church. We need to get all the non-believers in here so we can save them. We need to, to address them in a way that they listen and they want to sit and hear it. So let's turn down the lights and turn up the rock music, right? Make sure the coffee's good and donuts. Be facetious there. But the reality is they use that in the context of we want to save people. Doesn't he desire everyone to be saved? Yes, he does. And if that's the case, uh, shouldn't we, and they'll take passages, they'll twist them, I become all things to all people, they'll take them, they'll twist the passages. In light of the other passages which say, we are to be built up and go into the world. The church is for believers. If perhaps an unbeliever should come in, First Corinthians, he might fall on his knees hearing the word and repent. Right? Give me a few examples, and I could go on and on and on. Those are examples I didn't really take them very far and explain them very well, but you understand what I'm talking about. He says, I say this in order that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. To be deceived by false reasoning, packaged in a really good argument. And I'll tell you, they're really good. These arguments are pretty strong. You've got you to know the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, you're going to be taken. You gotta know God's truth. That's why we need to be built up. That's why it's a protection for us. That's why Paul is struggling to present them complete so that they're not taken captive. The danger of being deluded by a persuasive argument is very real. Notice what he says down in verse 8. This is the verse right after our passage. This is Colossians 2. See to it that no one takes you captive. That's actually the word kidnap, by the way. See to it no one kidnaps you. Through philosophy... Empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ again. Brothers and sisters, we're bombarded by plausible and reasonable arguments, and people are buying into them hook, line, and sinker. They have much truth, yet at their core they all deny or lessen 
the sufficiency or redirect us away from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ by twisting or lessening the word. Just because the argument is plausible and well orchestrated doesn't mean it's correct. Doesn't mean it's correct. We must examine everything by the truth of the word of God. We must grow up. If we don't, we'll get tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Turn there, 2 Peter chapter 3. And in context, what protects you is being built up in the Word of God, being made complete in Christ. That protects you. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. Hey, He hasn't come yet because He's saving people. That's what the context is. Just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, it wasn't Paul's wisdom, by the way, wrote to you in all his letters, speaking them of things in which some are hard to understand. Okay? Yes, some of Paul's, like some parts of 1 Corinthians are difficult. And people take it and they twist it if you don't know the Word of God. They twist it. He says here, hard to understand. He says here, which the untaught and unstable do what they distort as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. I was looking at this one guy concerning that theology, and the guy was saying, well, this is why we don't need to forgive anyone anymore, because that's Old Testament context. Wait a second. You're going to throw out the whole Old Testament? We need to see it rightly in its context and, and see God's word rightly and divide it rightly. So here there are people who distort the scriptures. They twist the scriptures to their own destruction. But back in that Second Peter passage, he says here, verse 17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest being carried away by the air of unprincipled men you fall from your own steadfastness. Be warned. Be warned. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and in the day of eternity. Amen. There's obvious errors such as the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, Catholics, New Age, legalism, liberalism, all that stuff. This is subtle and it's packaged really persuasively. You need to be careful. You need to be careful. Things have crept into the church. And I could spend a lot of time describing them. We know from Jude 3, uh, Jude saying, while I was making every attempt to write of our common salvation, I felt compelled to write you to, to defend earnestly the faith. That's the body of truth we received. Because certain men have crept in unnoticed, even denying the master, also turning the grace of God into licentiousness. Turning God's grace into a license to sin, very subtly, very packaged very well, like that book I was telling you about. And that guy. Bad stuff. Plausible, persuasive arguments are dangerous to immature believers. They're dangerous because people take it in like a fish pulling in the bait because they do want to grow in Jesus. They want to know more about Jesus. And someone comes with a plausible argument but twisting the word. They don't know it. They're not mature. They're going to fall prey. Okay? So what is it protects us from these false teachers and false theologies? It's the full knowledge of Christ from his word. That's what protects us. The admonishment and proclamation of the absolute sufficiency of Christ safeguards us from being deluded by a persuasive argument. And we're going to see he encapsulates the safeguard in a moment for us by saying what God has done and then how we are to walk. We'll see it in a minute. I mentioned this earlier, and I read this earlier for us, but that God has given certain giftings that we might mature so that we would not get taken captive. We would not be deceived. I read this earlier, but let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave some as apostles, verse 11, and some as prophets. And we know that. That's the foundation. The foundation's been laid already. Okay, they've already laid it. We have the full, completed Word of God. We have the completed word of God. And some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the full knowledge of the Son of God to mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Hey, you got those who God has gifted to teach 
bring forth the word of God to equip you so that you are mature in the faith and that you, there's a unity and a maturity in the faith. And then he says, as a result of that, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. It's being built up in the word of God, being made like Christ, which Paul struggles and strives for, that we become protected from the bad guys who bring plausible, persuasive arguments to pull us away from the sufficiency of Christ. Paul was deeply concerned for these Colossians. And true ministry, servants of God will be deeply concerned for those under their care. The Apostle Paul illustrates this concern in his farewell address to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. Turn there to Acts chapter 20. He's talking to the Ephesian elders. He's called them from Ephesus to Miletus. It's his final words. You think of what would your final words be if you're never going to see someone again? Well, this are, these are it. This means it's very important. Acts 20. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I want to start in verse 28. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among the Holy Spirit made you overseers. Ultimately, the Spirit of God is the one who points elders through the qualifications in the Word of God. When someone's Spirit-led attains those qualifications, has the aspiration, right? As we see. He says, to shepherd, in this context, is to preach the Word of God, to feed. It's the context, to feed the sheep. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Very valuable. And there is a passage there which shows the deity of Christ the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. There you go. Another passage for the deity of Christ. I know after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking twisted or perverted things to draw away disciples after them. We've seen that. We saw that back in Baker. We saw that. No doubt about that. Therefore, be on the alert remembering that night and day for a period of three years, this is a long time, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul is saying, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, be prepared, be prepared. Watch out, watch out. He says, now I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Hey, all you need is God and his word, right? That's what you need. So my question is, do we have the same concern? Leaders, pastors, do you have the same concern? Or are you a hireling? The same concern for the sheep. There are real threats coming. Many persuasive arguments out there. Chipping away subtly at the absolute sufficiency of Christ and his word, by the way. And his word, by the way. Are you concerned when preaching is being substituted with stories and books? Or lessened? few verses that are true here and there to get people to agree with you and then all the junk that goes with it all the poison that goes with it are you concerned when counselors point you to your past and prozac rather than christ rather than revealing your sin and the sufficiency of christ do you see a seemingly innocent emphasis on the gospels and jesus and a subtle de-emphasis on the epistles is a danger to you? You see that? It's all God's word, by the way. What about an over-the-top emphasis on reason and logic? What about that? There's all kinds of things I could say. These examples are very persuasive, persuasive arguments supporting them. And we need to be on guard. Paul says in our passage, back in our passage, I say this, speaking of in Christ are all the hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with persuasive argument. And I'm referring this to you and I'm sharing this with you that you may not be deluded by persuasive argument. Now at this point, as we continue, those who are genuinely concerned for the flock, we're going to see actually rejoice over where believers are at if they're grounded in the Word of God. We're going to see that. Verse 5, 4, Even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless I'm with you in spirit, 
rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. He begins with the term four here, explaining how he could give such a warning of them possibly being deluded, even though he's never seen them personally. He reveals that he's genuinely concerned for their spiritual condition. They are not an afterthought. Although he has never seen their faith, he struggles on their behalf as if he was right with them. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit. Remember, Paul had heard of their faith in Jesus and their love for one another, and now he expresses concern for their spiritual condition in Christ. He says here, rejoicing to see your good discipline stability in your faith. The Greek text literally says rejoicing and seeing, which implies rejoicing to see. Throughout Scripture, Paul has made it clear he has concern for the flock, and he's concerned in a good way and rejoicing in another way, depending where they're at. Here he's rejoicing right now. Hey, you guys are stable, as we're going to see. You guys have good discipline. You're in order right now, but there's, there's threats on the horizon, guys. You're doing good, but there's threats. But I'm rejoicing that you're doing good. He says he's rejoicing seeing, first of all, good discipline in their relationship with Christ. What's that mean? The term is taxes. It's not taxes, okay? It's taxes. Taxes was a military term for an ordered array. It described an array of soldiers in order, a group that is in step together. A single file line of soldiers, unbroken with no breaches. He's saying, I'm rejoicing to see you guys are in step with the Lord right now. You're in step together. I'm rejoicing in that. And then he says he's rejoicing in the stability of their faith in Christ. The term stability was another military term. By the way, we're at war. Bad guys out there. Right? Satan, our enemy, right? coming through uh, man, but he's our enemy, right? This term stability speaks of a solid front to make sound. It's a military term. speaks of unmovable. They were stable. They were firm. They were unmovable in their faith in Christ at this time. But there were dangers. I'm rejoicing to see you're in order and you're standing firm in Christ, in your faith in Christ. I'm rejoicing in that. I'm rejoicing in that. John would share in 3 John, 4, 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy than this than to hear my children walking in the truth. I'm rejoicing. You're walking in the truth. Praise the Lord. But that doesn't take away the reality there are threats out there. Right? I'm happy now. Let's keep it that way. That you're right in Christ, right? I'm rejoicing now. And I want you to stay right in Christ. I want you to stay in order and firmly stable. So Paul was concerned, but he was rejoiced in their spiritual condition. But notice, along with that joy, Paul doesn't stop. He teaches Christ, faith in Christ from start to finish. From start to finish. He doesn't stop there. This is a wonderful verse, verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This is a great, wonderful passage. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. Paul now continues his warning of the threats in light of uh, his encouragement of their present spiritual condition. And he gives them the logical command which will protect them. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So simple yet ignored, so simple yet forgotten. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The term walk in him is the verb here. It's a present imperative. means continually, habitually walk in him. You're being commanded. But there's a qualification. How we walk in him. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. This doesn't apply to people who aren't saved. That's why he's rejoiced in their stability. They're actually saved. They've got to be people who are saved, who truly come to faith in Jesus, as we'll say. He says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. It's aorist tense, point in time, you received him. The term received means 
uh, to, to, to take to oneself. And we see it all throughout Scripture. And I'm not going to read all these passages, but talking about the Word of God being received. Being received. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2.13 And for this reason we constantly thank God that when you received from us the Word of God's message, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God. You see, when the Gospel comes to you concerning your sin and the Savior Jesus Christ, when you receive that, then if you really receive it, you're going to receive Jesus. You're going to say, Lord Jesus, save me. You're going to receive Him by faith. You're going to believe the message that you need salvation. You're going to believe the message that He's God who took on human flesh, who died for your sins and rose from the dead, and that only in Him is there salvation from sin. You're going to believe that message wholeheartedly, and you're going to receive Jesus through faith. As you have received Jesus, Jesus, Jesus the Lord, we received Him by faith, believing the truth that was revealed in the Gospel. That's how we did it. He then says, so continually, habitually walk in him. It's so simple, yet we forget it, yet we ignore it. It so protects us from the bad guys because they got subtle things that pull you away from that, by the way. You see, in this short phrase is the encapsulation of who Jesus is. Notice this, he says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, it's interesting because... This exact phrase, this order in this way is nowhere else in Scripture. We definitely have, you know, Christ Jesus. We have the Lord. We have Lord Jesus. We have Lord Jesus Christ. We have those. But Christ Jesus the Lord is nowhere else. That phrase is only here. So why is that so significant? Because it encapsulates who Jesus is and who he must be recognized to be to be saved. You see? We didn't receive a, 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 a Jesus of our own imagination. We received Christ Jesus the Lord. You see? So here we have Christ. It speaks of the Messiah, the Anointed One. He is the King of Kings who will reign forever, who needed to suffer first for the glories to follow, as revealed in the Old Testament, as uh, brought forth through Christ on the cross, dying for our sins, rising from the dead. He is also Jesus. You shall name him Jesus, the angel said, for he shall save his people from their sins. God took on human flesh, and he is the Lord of lords who saves. And then we see here very specifically, he is the Lord. Christ Jesus, the Lord. You didn't receive Christ Jesus, the idol. You received Christ Jesus, the Lord. It's very clear. We need to recognize that whether we acknowledge it verbally or exactly in the exact words. We need to know that in our hearts. We need to share it in a sense. Uh, Turn to Romans chapter 10. We see this. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord... And believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You know, if you believe it, it's going to come from your mouth, right? I believe that. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And notice this. It's explained because it's all in the act of believing, okay? For whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He's the Lord of all who died for our sins. Lord Jesus, save me. And you believed that he would. And you believed the message wholeheartedly. Nothing else was added to it. It was by faith alone. You believed the gospel. You believed the truth. And you received Jesus, Christ Jesus as Lord. Ephesians chapter... uh, One talks about how um, having heard the message, we believed. Having believed, right? We heard the message. By the way, we're not regenerated in advance and then we believe later to try and that reasoning, that's some of the bad reasoning, by the way, that I'm talking about. The Bible says that we were born again through the living and abiding word of God. Yes, the Spirit convicts us through the word and we can be convicted before we're saved. It's the world of sin, unrighteousness, and judgment. Yes, but we are saved 
by the truth of God and the God of the truth. We're saved by Jesus Christ as revealed in the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and that was the word which was preached to you. And that theology I mentioned takes away from the sufficiency of the word of God and the gospel, by the way. It's very dangerous. We were saved through faith in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We received it as, how did we receive Jesus? We received him as Lord when we believed the truth of the gospel. Amen. Amen. So here, he says here, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, here's the command, so walk in him. In the same way, walk every day the way you got saved. This is revolutionary for your Christian life, by the way. The way you completely depended upon the Lord, believing him 100% in his word, is the way you walk every day, all the time. Completely believing in him, completely trusting in his word. That is how we are to walk. Walk in the same manner. Our everyday walk should be through faith in Christ as revealed in his word, submitting to the king, the Messiah, the Lord of all, total minute-by-minute dependence in faith on an all-sufficient God every minute of of our walk. If we walk this way, we will not become prey to false teaching that erodes from the sufficiency of Christ or redirects our heart away from him. No one was ever saved by partially trusting Jesus by partially believing it, by doubting and believing at the same time. We were saved through faith in Jesus Christ, and the same thing is for our sanctification. As you have received him, so walk in him. It's so important. It's so important. Every day of our walk must consist of the same trust and submission that was on that day you got saved. You just believed it. You believed his truth, and you, you call out to Jesus, Lord, save me. To keep to be from deluded, we must walk the way we began. Walk the way we began. Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with part of your heart. With all your heart, right? Your entire heart. He says here, and do not lean on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Every day, we are so tempted not to believe the truth of God the way we did when we got saved. We need to hold to his precious and magnificent promises in every circumstance, in every situation. As you have received him, so walk. That's our life. We walk by faith, not by sight. Nothing else will do. You need to trust him and yield to him every day. Believing what he has said in his word. Trusting in the person of Jesus Christ. In the same way you trusted in him when you were saved. So important. It's a command. As therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now at this point, as we finish up, Paul gives four dependent participial phrases with a supporting verb. And what does that mean? It's going to have these phrases that don't hang by themselves. They're usually translated with an ing, like having or doing or running. You know, I don't say running to the store. I say I was running to the store. So it's based on this so walk in him, having, becoming, whatever those things are, right? So walk in. Think of it all together, okay? And this is going to help us because we've got to remember what Christ did and we've got to remember what he's doing now. And that will bring us to thank him, okay? Look at uh, verse 7. Or verse 6, I'm going to read into it. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted. He wants to remind you of something. Now, there's going to be three participles here initially that have differing metaphorical emphasis. And what do I mean by that? The first one is a botanical illustration, firmly rooted. Okay. We're going to see the second one is a building term, having been built up. And we're going to see the third one uh, established is a legal term. And so these things are ways that Paul is showing what has happened to us in Christ, what is happening now, and therefore this is how we this is the context in which we walk and trust the Lord. 
So he says, first of all, having been firmly rooted. It's, 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 it's a, uh, it's a perfect part of simple. What does that mean? It's already happened, but it still affects you. You were firmly rooted in the past. When you believed in Jesus Christ, you were placed into the body of Christ. You were given the Spirit as a pledge. You were firmly rooted in your relationship with Jesus. Nothing can separate you from him. And the picture here is of a tree that is firmly rooted, that is drawing all the nutrients and the water it needs because it is firmly rooted. You've already been firmly rooted in Christ. Having been firmly rooted... Paul would say to the Ephesians, literally perfect tense also, even though it's not translated that way, having been rooted and grounded in love, Ephesians 3.17. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, drawing everything you need from your relationship with him. You're rooted in him. It's already done. You're firmly rooted. Don't draw from anything else. You're rooted in Jesus. You're rooted in him. That's what's happened. Then there's going to be two present participles. He says here, and now, it's, they translate a now there because they want to tell you it's present. And now being built up in him and established in your faith. You're rooted, and now you're being built up like a building. That's what God is doing. We are being built up and established in the faith. And don't forget what God uses to do that. Remember 1 Peter 1, we were born again through the living and abiding word of God. 1 Peter 2, therefore putting aside all malice and hypocrisy and envy and slander like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow in respect to salvation. If you've tasted his kindness, if you're really saved. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, they accepted the word of God for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. You've been firmly rooted in Jesus, and now you're being built up. You're being built up. That's what God's doing. He's building you up. We saw in Ephesians 4, I read it earlier, that it is through the teaching of the Word of God that we are equipped, we are built up. We see in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, you can turn there, Ephesians chapter 2, we have this metaphor of what God is doing. He is building us up right now. You were rooted firmly. Can't be pulled out. You are now being built up. So, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, having been fully rooted, being now built up, and being established, so walk in Him. Ephesians 2.19, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, speaking to the Gentile believers in Ephesus, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built up upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing to a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. He's building you up. He's taking his word and making us a holy temple. He's rooting out sin. He's changing us. He's making us a holy temple together. Together. We also know in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, Turner, this is another portion here, First Peter 2, this illustration of being built up. First Peter 2, verse 4. And coming to him as a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, First Peter 2, 5. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And being the cornerstone, the next verse we see. So having been firmly rooted like a tree with its deep roots in the ground, but in Christ, we're now being built up by God through his word. And then notice he says, being built up, present tense, and then literally you could say being established in your faith. It's present tense participle. There's the ing in a sense. The term established here is a legal term. Uh, it speaks of a confirmation or an establishment of legal precedent. It's translated in other places, confirm. Confirm in a legal manner. First uh, Corinthians 1.8, who shall confirm you to the end, blameless, the day of Christ. So we've received Christ Jesus the Lord. We're being, having firmly rooted, we're being continually built up, and we are now confirmed literally in the faith. New King James, I think, does a better translation. In the faith. We are being confirmed in the context of the truth of God 
that which has been delivered once for all, the faith, the truth that we believe. That's why it's called the faith. Everything we believe is the faith in the truth. And that's that's well, everything we should believe in God's word we see is the faith. So then, what God is doing right now, based on what he's done in the past, having been rooted and now being built up and established, confirmed in the faith, Remember how valuable and encouraging it is to have the full assurance of understanding the confirmation of the truth, right? That we believe. So then, walk in the same manner in which we're saved, total dependence, believing the truth of God, having been fully rooted in Christ. That's all right. Tell them to tune into the stream. There we go. Establishing your faith just as you were instructed. Just as you were instructed. So notice here, all of this happens through instruction. The term didasco, it's in the passive voice. All of this happens in our relationship with Christ through the instruction of the Word of God. He says here that it's through instruction, just as you were instructed. You were instructed. That's how you got firmly ruined. You heard the gospel. Then you were built up in that. Then you were established and confirmed. And we see that in the faith. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for what? First of all, teaching for the same word, instruction. We know that uh, we are built up through the word of God as we are instructed in it. You see why teaching is so important? It's so important. It's so important. That's why teaching and preaching is primary in the church. Because God uses it to build us up. To make us like Jesus. And what is to be our response to this? What is our response to God having firmly rooted us through faith in Christ? To to being built up? To being established? In the context of instruction, what's our response Look at the last participle, overflowing with gratitude. Tremendous. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, being built up. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, uh, so walk in him, being established in your faith. As you receive Christ, therefore Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, overflowing with gratitude. The term overflowing speaks of abounding, being rich, in abundance, surpassing, overflowing in gratitude. The term gratitude is literally the term thanksgiving. Overflowing with thanksgiving. There should be a continual overflowing of thanksgiving. This is an evidence if you're walking the same way you got saved. You know, when you got saved, you didn't go, oh, great, that's great. You were rejoicing. And the same way we should be rejoicing each day as we trust Jesus, overflowing with gratitude. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If you're not a thankful person to the Lord, I would tell you that you're not walking as the same way you received him. If you are not walking in a way as if as you receive Christ so walk, but that's not happening. If you're living your life and you're not depending on Jesus the very same way you did when you got saved, you are not a grateful person, I'll bet you. But if you're depending on him, then he is working in your life. And oh boy, how wonderful that is. Overflowing with gratitude. Give thanks to the Lord for his good. You see, when you're trusting him, then everything's in his hand. And oh, there's joy in that. There's joy in that. I'll remind you all, turn your cell phones off before the service. (laughs) There you go. Overflowing with gratitude. Wonderful. So then, our response to what God does through his word, trusting him, yielding to him, should be the same response we had when we got saved. Overflowing with gratitude. Maybe some of you are not thankful because you're not walking by faith in the same way you were saved. That happens to us. We, we walk in and out of fellowship. We walk in and out of... But we should more and more be walking as we've been in the same way as we were saved. When we were saved, we were thankful because we trusted Christ completely. And we should be thankful now. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. It's a command. It's a command. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your son Jesus who saved us. Thank you for your son Jesus who lives in us, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Thank you for your son whom we are rooted and grounded in right now and whom we are being built up upon and confirmed in the faith. Thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing in us. You're doing a marvelous work, changing us and making us like your son, Jesus. May we cooperate and may we obey, that we would be protected from those plausible uh, arguments, protected from being deceived. May we, as we have received you, obey this command and so walk in you this way. Lord, I pray this verse would linger in our hearts and minds. We would not be like uh, those who look in a mirror and immediately forget who we are. I pray the word would remain and abide in our hearts. That we would walk in the same way as we were saved. Believing in your son Jesus, trusting in him, believing the truth. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.